You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Revelation chapters 4 and 5, that's what we are covering this morning as we are going through the book of Revelation. I've already explained it twice, but for those of you that are new to the episode of the podcast, I started Revelation a few months ago, and ever since the launch of the podcast, I realized that Revelation is best seen in chunks. And so uh, the first week we looked at chapter one as an introduction. Uh, Last week we looked at chapters two and three, the letters to the churches. And this week we're looking at chapters four and five. And I'm just calling this episode Scenes of Heaven. Uh, Scenes of Heaven. And so this is not going to be a verse-by-verse exposition. I'm trusting that you're doing that on your own time. Um, But at least here on the podcast, we want to go over the the story uh, that Revelation, the message that Revelation is trying to give to us. So if I can recap the letters to the churches, uh, there are seven churches in a ring in Asia Minor, and they are not doing so well. They are persecuted. They are marginalized. um, They are uh, thinking about walking away from the faith. Uh, they kept saying that Jesus is Lord. Their culture did not like that because in, in the Roman culture, you say that Caesar is Lord. And so you have the Jews that are complying to Caesar, and you have everybody else that's a Roman citizen, and, and they're calling Caesar Lord because they don't want to be left out of some benefits. And then you got these pesky Christians that just won't stop talking about their Jesus being Lord. And so you had some churches like Pergamum that, you know, they were— they were um, locked out of a guild. So like a lot of them were metal workers. Um, they had blue-collar blue jobs, and the way to kind of strengthen their jobs is to partner up with each other. Um, and, and so they would form a guild. And at these guilds, they would have parties. They would have dinner parties where they would eat food sacrificed to idols, and then everything would turn into this wild orgy. And so the Christians were looking at that aspect of their culture, and they're like, no, thank you. Uh, we are not going to participate, and so, um, and, and so, the churches were persecuted for that. The churches were also persecuted for their own meetings. Like, what do you do in your meetings? Eat the blood of a man, and, and or drink the blood of a man, and eat the the body of a like. Are you guys cannibals? Like, that's kind of what they were up against. And then uh, there were some dangers inside the church. There were some dangers inside the church with false teachers people that followed the way of Balaam for for gain, or they followed Jezebel in allowing sexual sin, uh, which is also spiritual idolatry. Um, This is what the churches were up against. And so Jesus writes seven letters to them, and he encourages them wherever encouragement is necessary and needed, and then he corrects wherever they need to be corrected. Some churches get no correction. Some churches get no rebuke. But they all end with this invitation. So the one who has ears to hear, let him listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So we can't take one letter and say, this is what applies to me or my church or my epoch of time. You have to take the seven letters together and say, what's God's message for the church? Now that ushers us in into chapters 4 and 5. Who is this person who is speaking with this authority? Well, we get into chapter 4. And chapter 4 starts off with a voice that says to John, come up here. Uh, some people have mistakenly interpreted that to be, the re- uh, uh, to be the rapture, but it can't be the rapture because it's only John. 
he goes up to heaven and he's in the spirit. He's in the spirit. In fact, uh, we read in chapter one that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, on Sunday, on resurrection day. And John starts to see visions. Remember we said in week one that the this letter is a uh, prophecy, an apocalypse, and a letter. So it's a multi-genre book. And now we're getting into the apocalypse version or, or apocalypse uh, part of the book. And this is where John starts seeing weird things. Like uh, there was this throne, and then there was one that was uh, appeared to be sitting on the throne. And then uh, around the throne were these creatures, and these creatures are very odd. Um, let me let me get there. I'm I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So John starts seeing things that he has no category for. He and and, and you know he has no category for it because in your Bible he's going to say it looked like it had the appearance of it appeared like. Right, and so Revelation is a real message that's wrapped in allegory, and so we need to know that this is a prophecy. This is something that's going to happen, but it takes the form of apocalypse in how it's communicated to us, and um, and so you might be tempted to throw the whole book uh, out as fiction or or take it very literally, and both are very dangerous. You'll miss the point. Next, we see someone that is on a throne, and he is described as glorious. He's described in radiant, colorful language. We also know that he's powerful. Um, he receives worship from, quote, 24 elders. Uh, 24 is 12 plus 12. There were 12 tribes, and there were 12 apostles. And so the 24 elders symbolizes all of creation. He is limitless. His ceiling is our floor. We read that um, beneath the throne was a sea of glass. And so that's that's heaven's floor and our ceiling in the vision. And his his servants are the best of creation. Um, this is what I was getting into a bit earlier. Uh, you got these creatures that look a little odd. And, and, and they look like a mix of a lion slash ox slash man slash eagle. And without thinking the, the imagery too long or too much, here's... Here's, I'll just give it to you. The lion is the king of the jungle. He's the most feared. He's the most powerful. He's the most respected. The ox is the strongest. Uh, when, you, you, when you yoke two yoke of oxen, they're, they're carrying a load. They're very strong. They're the strongest. Mankind is the wisest. We use our brain to think and subdue the earth. And then we have the eagle, who is the fastest, the swiftest. And then the last thing that I want to uh, end on is that his worship never stops. His worship never stops. He is infinitely valuable and infinitely worthy. And so all praise goes to him. They never stop worshiping him. And I just want to encourage you on an ending note, your worship doesn't stop either. You think that just because you go to church and you sit there for an hour or two, uh, that that's your worship. That's that, that that's your worship for the whole week. That That's your Bible intake for the whole week. That That's your prayer for the whole week. And it will not be able to sustain you. Um, because worship continues onward. It includes what we do at church as an outpouring of who we are throughout the week. And there are some seasons where we need to go to be encouraged, but we go, we go as a continuation of our worship. So it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday. Today it's Wednesday. You wake up. You worship God, you pray, you read your Bible, you go to work, you treat people the way Jesus would treat them. This is your spiritual worship, and it continues on throughout the week. Otherwise, if it doesn't, we are 
hypocrites. We are duplicitous people. We are people that are one way at this place at this time and another way at this place at this time. And we want to be the same people everywhere because Jesus is the same person everywhere. I'm reminded of Colossians 3.3 that says, Christ is our life. He's not just the first thing on the list. He is life. Everything involves him. Everything is around him. Everything is about him. And if you have this mindset of, let me hurry this up so I can get to what I really love, that's a red flag in your life, in your walk with Christ. How often do you think about this throne? You know, there's this uh, there's this question on Instagram. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Valid question. Very intriguing question. I, I love history, so I'm about it. How often do you think about God's throne? How often do you think about Jesus being in charge? I would be tempted to say maybe not much. I've encountered a lot of um, a, a lot of attitudes that are against Christian nations. But Jesus is the ruler of everything. He has claim over everything simply because he created it. That's what they praise him for. We praise you because you created everything and by you all things were made. And do you realize that about your life? That everything that you have and everything that you are is a result of God's working in your life? Or do you think that's you? Do you feel like, I worked hard, I made something of myself, so I have options whether to worship God or worship myself or worship God and or not worship him. Do you pray before you open the fridge and eat something? Do you thank God when you eat dinner? Do you thank God? Do you pray to God for your needs before you draw the money out of the bank? We feel self-sufficient, so we don't do this. And as a result, we lose sight of this throne. But let me tell you something. If you, if you have suffered and you have chosen to take your pain and worship with it, you're always thinking about this throne. You're not going to seek vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. You're not going to be angry all the time because you're going to trust that God is going to judge the right way and that his judgments are fair. And not only are they fair, they're severe. God can punish people more than you can. God can punish people better than you can. And God is wise in how he hands out his judgments. Some people are saved, and you're like, wait, I thought you were destroying them. You're, you're, you're kind of like Noah or Jonah. I, I thought you were going to destroy them. Again, God is wiser. God would rather someone turn from their wickedness than to destroy them in their wickedness. But if they won't turn from their wickedness, there's judgment. And you need to trust God to be the faithful judge that knows the balance, that knows what is right, that knows what is fair. And we have to trust God because if God is the standard of truth, if God is the standard of justice, if God is the standard of righteousness, then there's nothing that we, we can correct him on. We just need to trust him and see what happens. That's the throne of God. Next week, we're going to look at the seven seals. God bless.